the, uh, the full impact of that was um, uh, to do primarily with this morning, but it also introduces tonight. Uh, but uh, we sort of pray and just uh, wait on God what we feel is the, the right way to go forward. And uh, we really um, had a lot of the, the guys all uh, thinking and, and really considering going forward uh, with this uh, theme of restoration, another brick in the wall. Uh, of course, Pink Floyd, uh, Roger Waters actually is a ardent atheist, um, but uh, his song, uh, you know, another brick in the wall, you know, we're all just a part of the institutional life uh, and, uh, you know, that institution is trying to conform you, etc. cetera. Uh, but there's uh, another, another aspect of that. We are to be a brick in the wall, uh, part of God's wall, part of what he's building, part of what he's doing. And so this morning we actually uh, are running with, uh, in the Eastgate facility, uh, beginning with the book of Galatians. And we're going through uh, Galatians. We introduced that this morning and all the team will be speaking on areas on this whole thing of restoration. And uh, tonight, um, I just want to uh, introduce where we're going to go to uh, sort of in direction uh, here, we're beginning from tonight over the next period of time. And I'd like to turn the Bible to uh, 1 Corinthians 6. We're actually going to begin there uh, tonight. And then uh, as we proceed, uh, we're going to primarily be working from the book of Nehemiah. But uh, uh, so Galatians down in Eastgate, or Byron facility in the morning, and then uh, uh, is, uh, it'll be Nehemiah here in the night. So uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9, and it just goes, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Father, we pray for your blessing on us tonight. I pray, Father, you'll just do work over this time. And I pray, Father, you'll touch our lives and Lord Jesus, as we just align with you, and I pray, Father, we'd catch your heart and your purpose and your way. And Lord, we thank you, we honor you. I pray, Father, that you'd move by your spirit, by your grace and power to the glory of your name. Amen. You know, um, I just sort of uh, want to introduce tonight, uh, Paul uh, here is writing to the Corinthians and uh, they lived in, a, of course, a city called Corinth, where they get their name. And uh, in Corinthians, uh, uh, it was a New Testament church. I, I've heard a lot of people say to me over time, we want to be a New Testament church. And I said, oh, really? You really want to be a New Testament church? Well, uh, let me take you to some of the New Testament churches, uh, if we're really honest. Uh, they were churches that were... Um, uh, conflicted and had deep issues, and Corinth was certainly no exception to that. And, you know, uh, it was a city full of broken people. And with this here, uh, we've got to ask the question, how uh, did the, um, uh, in the New Testament, did they deal with broken people? You know, in the uh, ancient world, um, Actually, probably a great picture of the city of Corinth is when Paul is sitting writing the book of Romans. If you ever read the book of Romans, you open the first chapter. Uh, Paul was actually sitting in the Corinth and he looks out his window. It's nearly like an eye description of that city in the first century. And uh, Corinth uh, was known as the red light district of the ancient world. I don't know, um, you know... Uh, I was, I was nearly going to say, uh, you know, how, how often you frequent a red light district. <laughs> you know, Sue and I, uh, one time we flew into Copenhagen and, uh, and somehow I bundled my way and Sue into the, straight out into the red light district. And I, I remember there, uh, you know, things across your eyes. And, and, but really you're dealing with a world full of broken people. And, uh, and in... Uh, broken people, 
uh, is there's issues, you see weirdness, you see uh, dysfunctional people, you see all sorts of things. And, and uh, in fact, in the Roman world, uh, if you said you've thrown all moral caution to the wind, someone used this term, it became the term in the Roman world, uh, you have Corinthianized yourself. And so it's drawn from the city. So somehow Paul planted a church in the city of Corinth, uh, a city which was the red light district of the ancient world that had a temple to Aphrodite. Have you ever heard that term? I'm sure you have. Uh, it's where we get the term aphrodisiac from. <laughs> uh, anyway, if, if you know, uh, and it's not from eating strawberries, if I can just say. Uh, so what happens, that's where it came. Uh, it was said they had actually 2,000 prostitutes to that one temple alone. In the city of Corinth, there was a temple to Apollo, uh, and with that, as they worshipped masculinity, and so you can imagine what flowed from that. And so it was a a bit of a a crazy world. It's a red-light district. Paul describes some of the people here. He goes, there were fornicators or sexually immoral people. The ESV translates it. It says adulterers and idolaters and uh, uh, homosexuals, uh, thieves, covetous, uh, greedy, drunkards, revelers, swindlers. Uh, I think you know what I mean. Now, when you actually get a world like that, you get a a world full of broken people. I'll just see if we... uh, I might need at the back of that computer, Hayley, uh, if you're up the back there for me, uh, just to shove my remote in the back. Uh, Oh, sorry, Hayley's out the back there. Um, uh, It's because I won't communicate unless it's in. So uh, with this, when you're dealing with a world like that, you're dealing with a world full of brokenness. Uh, dysfunctional uh, people, families, divorce, blended families, sexual abuse, uh, rejection, uh, you know, uh, people with uh, mental sickness. Uh, They say in Western society at the moment, the fastest growing industry is counselling and social work. Uh, But uh, in all of that world uh, there uh, is they are people that are, are, are broken. So uh, can you see that little remote at the back of the computer? Uh, and we'll try and get this to talk. No, no chance there. There was a big fat uh, thing in the back of it. <laughs> All right. If we don't get that, we'll uh, do our best. And so, this is what I, I want to say. Are we there? That, they've brought that forward, but I'm, I'm not communicating with it. Yeah, here we go. Now, in all of that mess, Paul says, he does this great long list, and he goes, such was some of you. Such was some of you. And in this Corinthian church, Uh, Christianity had the power to change people. And that's what I'm interested in. Uh, You know, people that have come from oppressive lifestyles. I remember one time in in the Coss Harbour where we were for many years, we had a particular music group come through into the church and they performed their music and and they were sort of a a rough edge uh, band and they really wanted to reach out to those who did not know Christ. And so here they are doing what they're doing. And, and at the end, they said to me, they said, ah, oh, no, we're not really interested in this. It's too just middle class and, and too many people who are too normal for us. And, and I, I laughed, if I can say this, is because right in front of them in that concert was just like Paul's list. There were people who were once drug addicts. There were people who were once dysfunctional there were people who once were homosexual. There were people that were once idolaters. There were people, uh, all dysfunction, yet God changed them. But they thought they were just middle, middle class and all normal. And, uh, and so what happens is people change through process. I, I wish, you know, um, uh, it was as all as simple as what some people think. Some people think all you've got to do is give your life to Christ. 
And you, you often see dramas like this, you know, some with a big burden on their back and they come to the cross and the big burden totally falls off them. <laughs> I wish that was always just as true as they present. What I found is the real truth is uh, what happens even in the church, there are a lot of people with still big burdens on their back, if I'm really honest. They're Christian, they love Jesus, and yet they carry big burdens. And so uh, with this here, we've got to ask the question then, how did people change? And, and that's what we're going to be looking at in the process of this series. Now, with this, you know, in the modern world, we've got a great emphasis on counselling. And I have no problem with that. I think it's important. But with counselling, uh, in fact, uh, did you realise in the New Testament there's barely a record of it? How do you think, said? Uh, you have Priscilla and Aquila, I think, correcting a polis on a doctrinal issue. But I don't read where they had these really heavy counselling sessions. Uh, I think they possibly were there, but people changed. Such were some of you. People changed. And, you know, I, I, I praise God when I've seen people instantly changed. Uh, one time in Glen Innes when I was there, uh, and uh, we had a guy come into our church who was an alcoholic, destroyed his family, destroyed his children, and I remember he came, even I, if I remember correctly, even intoxicated to church. And you know, the power of God hit him and he fell on the floor. For him, that's how it happened. He just fell on the floor and he stood up and he never touched a drop of alcohol ever from that moment of time. And that was over 25 years ago. Life instantly changed with alcohol. <laughs> ah, but he also used to smoke, if I remember, something like two or three packets of cigarettes a day. And, uh, and then he thought, oh, well, this will just be simple. God changed my problem with alcohol. All I'll need to do is, is God will just zap me and my cigarettes will instantly leave. And he struggled and he strived and he tried to give up. He, he threw his cigarettes away. And every time he'd sit down for a cup of coffee, he'd reach for his cigarettes. Uh, and, and that went on for another three years. And he found that was an issue he had to totally surrender to God. And you know, he surrendered that to God and that changed as well. But it didn't leave instantly. And so some things transform when we come to Christ instantly. But for most it does not. And we've got to come and we've got to ask honestly, then how do people change? Uh, you know, the modern world uh, has a great emphasis on psychology. And, and we thank God for some of that. But, you know, if I can just say this, most of psychology is positioned on several key figures uh, there in history. Uh, Carl Jung, uh, whose father, incidentally, if I remember correctly, was a minister of the gospel. And, um, but he dabbled in the occult, and, uh, but he actually said this. He said, the goal of life is self-realization. He said that was the goal of life. And so his counseling could be summed up. Uh, basically, on that model, the goal of life is self-realization. Fromm and Rogers and Maslow and May all followed his suit. And then, of course, the father of modern psychology was Sigmund Freud. I think some of you may know him well. And uh, Sigmund Freud uh, said this, the most important person in the whole world or universe, he is a little larger than world, is you. And, uh, and the emphasis was on you. And, of course, for Sigmund Freud, man was a biochemical machine. And as such, uh, then, uh, you know, um, with uh, psychological help, uh, then you could deal with these root issues of man, deal with the you, and bring people back into correct relationship with their world and life. Now, there are some things that, if I can just say this, uh, those men said, I think, uh, were possibly good and helpful. But the reality is not how people changed in the New Testament. People changed in the New Testament uh, with another way than what is presented there. In fact, uh, the Bible actually says the problem with mankind is you. <laughs> and salvation is often to save you from you. Uh, if I can say that, you know, the first sin in the Bible was uh, you shall be like God. Uh, that was the first lie. And, um, and so uh, a lot of salvation is to save you from you. Uh, but anyway, um, with that, 
the change in the scripture is to actually come and go, such were some of you. Now, with this here, it leads us to, uh, you know, in the Bible, how then did people change? Which I want to sort of spend just a, a few moments on. How could Paul say that of people? Uh, you know, um, and, and please don't misunderstand me tonight. I thank God for things like 12-step program, AANA. Um, if I can say that, there's one thing I have trouble with those groups, if I can be really honest. I think some of the methodology is fine and good, and I've had actually friends who are alcoholics that actually were tremendously helped by those programs. But for AA and NA is you are always an alcoholic. You are always a drug addict. It's your disease. And so one can never come out of NA or AA and say, I was that. You must say, I am this. But Paul didn't say that. He said, such were some of you that you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of Jesus Christ. The power of God changed their lives, and they might have once been that, but they were changed. And so people aren't doomed to live out the rest of their lives uh, in, in brokenness and destruction. God actually has a plan to lead people forth and to bring wholeness into their lives. And it just doesn't begin just quite as simply as saying, uh, you need to be born again. I know people who have been born again have carried brokenness for years with them in the church and they rest and have learned to adjust or, or, or learn to, uh, uh, I'm trying to look for the right word, but um, learn to live with their, their weaknesses in their world and life, the control them and, and, and uh, basically uh, hold them in brokenness. But the New Testament says people change. Now, I, I want to uh, come here. I'll just read this verse out of Thessalonians. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, not all people, even in the Christian world, believe that, you know, that mankind has a, a spirit and soul. Some people see that as a synonym. But in fact, I actually believe, as the Bible actually does speak, there's an eternal aspect to our lives that I like to call spirit. And the soul, I like to relate to the emotional side of our lives. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13 talks about that the Word of God is the only one that can divide between the soul and the spirit. Matthew 10 talks there and says, you know, what if a man gained the whole world and, and, and you know, um, oh, it's the one I'm actually after is there, uh, Jesus, when he said, uh, um, let me see if I can word this correctly, Matthew 10, uh, is uh, fear him, not just him who can kill the body, but fear him who can f uh, destroy the soul. One can lose their soul. I don't believe one loses their spirit, but one can lose their soul. And, uh, and God's plan is that you will be preserved, spirit, soul, and body, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, for me, uh, if anyone's ever been with me in counseling, I often use this and approach with people. But let me just come uh, and maybe put it this way. There are needs that people have physically in their life, physical needs. And they're e easily recognized. Food, water, exercise, shelter, clothing. Uh, they're actually needs that we, we actually have. Now, what happens, uh, God-based is need-based creatures. Uh, we need to have those needs met. And it doesn't mean they are wrong things. In fact, they're very right things. And we actually need these things in our life. However, with this, if we don't meet the need, uh, say with food, uh, hunger develops. Now, hunger, is it wrong or is it right? Hunger is a right thing. It's a good thing. Uh, is because it needs to meet a need that's there physically. Um, as is thirst uh, is a, a, a good thing. And if you still don't meet the need, the hunger becomes acute. But what happens for people physically is if those needs aren't met, they enter a world that I call the bazaar. And uh, there's many examples of this historically. If anyone knows uh, 19th century 
the United States, and anyone knows the history of the Donner Party, who were trying to make their way to the west coast of the United States and got stranded. And uh, in the end, uh, they became so desperate, they resorted to cannibalism, what is unthinkable to uh, normal humanity. Um, and some may have seen a movie called Alive, uh, which was about a true situation of a plane that crashed in South America. And, uh, and they were off course, and so they were never rescued. And the weeks dragged on, and no one appeared, and they were stranded in the Andes Mountains. And some of the guys resorted to cannibalizing those guys that actually had been killed in the plane crash. And, and, and when it all came out, they actually made a movie on it, but what was unthinkable to normal people became thinkable. In other words, the bizarre. And strange things happen in the land or the world of the bizarre. Uh, people, uh, if you uh, know anything or ever studied Scott and the Antarctic and the expedition that was there uh, at the beginning of the, uh, the 20th century, and as I was stranded there uh, and in desperation uh, there when things went so badly and they had acute hunger, but they got extremely exposed and, and it was reported many of Scott's men in the final hours of their life would strip off all their clothes and just walk out into the snow. As they do what is bizarre, they take off their gloves, they would uh, uh, just uh, remove all the clothing and just wander off. And, and in, in, in strange, bizarre things. And of course, if these needs aren't met, ultimately death uh, is there and, and people can pass away. Um, with this here, we also recognize this is true of people spiritually. And so if we come to the needs of the Spirit, and the Bible says we actually have deep spiritual needs. Uh, we have needs to be reconciled to God. We have a need to worship, a need for prayer, a need for hearing the Word of God and a fellowship. And, and when these needs aren't met, uh, what happens? There is a hunger or a thirst that sets in. And uh, in some areas of the world, it leads to very bizarre behavior. So uh, those that have been in the subcontinent will recognize in worship, when these needs have not been met correctly, people will actually do what we would class as strange behavior. So I remember being in a field in Andhra Pradesh in India, and in that one field, 20, I think it was 20 to 25 people had died in that one field in the 12 months before I was there. It's because they worshipped cobra snakes. And those cobra snakes would strike and bite them and they would die. And so uh, sort of bizarre behavior. Uh, there's an area in India where they worship smallpox. Uh, there's an area of India where they worship rats. And you can go to the temple and the rats will crowd around and be over everything and, and they'll eat their food and the rats are sort of classed as holy and, and, and we just stand back and stand in repulsion and we go, that's weird, that's strange behavior. But the strange behavior is connected to a need and that need is for worship. In the atheist world, you know, they were denied worship under the Soviet Union. Sue and I were in uh, post-Soviet Union shortly after Perestroika and we were with one particular girl. Uh, we called her Anichka, which is sort of a cute way of saying Anna, but sort of, you know, as a friend. And, um, and Anichka had been raised as a young girl through the Soviet system at the same age as we were uh, as we went through school. But she remembers as a young child being on parade and they commanded her as a child to worship and pray to Lenin. And she couldn't do it. She stood there as all the rest of her class worshipped and praised Lenin as if he was God. And there was something in her checked. And every time she'd go, I cannot do this. I can't do this. And, and she would look at all her, her, all her compatriots and friends as they'd be worshipping and praising Lenin. But there was something in her checked and went, this is not right. And, and you know, it, it's, it's like the world of the bizarre, this strange world. Now, I think we sort of... We relate and we understand that. But there's a side there that many people don't understand. And that's to do with the emotional man. You know, rather than modern psychology, um, is the Bible actually says that there are deep emotional needs, or if I can put this of the soul of humanity. And those needs are just like physical needs or spiritual needs. 
they, they need to be met in a right way. And in these needs, there is a need for unconditional love, of affection, of affirmation, of security, of identity. Now, these are deep, deep needs that are intrinsically in humanity. But if the needs aren't met, there's a hunger that begins in people's lives. And those needs, the same process works. If, they, if it's not met, the hunger becomes acute. And there comes again this strange world of the bizarre. And people will actually do quite unusual things to meet those needs. Now, the needs physically we have in our life uh, need to be answered, usually financially or practically for people. And so we need to meet those needs. Actually, uh, 1 John uh, tells us straight out in the book of James, if we see a brother or sister hungry and say, God bless you, and we don't help them, then in fact, we've actually portrayed the real heart of the gospel is because we need to see those needs met for people. But with this here, is, uh, we need to recognize that those things are either met financially or, or in a practical way. The needs of the Spirit is God had a plan, and that need of the Spirit in humanity was to come back into living relationship with God and have your spirit renewed and united in fellowship with God through what Jesus Christ has done for you. And so the Holy Spirit answers that need. The Holy Spirit answers that need of union with God. That's how God intended that need to be met. And then when we come to the needs of the soul, this area, if I can maybe just um, uh, say a few things about this uh, that I think uh, uh, at least I believe are actually extremely important. Um, I remember actually studying and reading some of the aftermath of World War I. And of course, World War I consumed, I think it was 8 to 10 million guys in the trenches of Europe. And after the war, there was massive uh, amount of orphans, of broken, destroyed families, of lives that were, were smashed and beyond repair. And so they had these orphanages. And I remember reading the statistics of the orphanages because the mortality rate was running so highly within those orphanages. And... and what they did is they came in and they trained the nurses, uh, rather than just feeding them, going along and feeding these children that had no one in the world for them, is they retrained the nurses to pick them up and to goo and gar and play with them and talk with them as if they were their own children. You know, they lowered the mortality rate, something 20% by just doing that. It's actually retraining people because there's this need, there's this need in people to be loved there's a need in people to be affirmed and, and, and to have affection and, and to find security in their identity in their world. But of course, in our world, we live in a broken world. We live in a world a little bit like Corinth. And in that broken world, in all that dysfunctionality, is what happens for people where they often carry their greatest wounds are relationally. Where they often carry the greatest wounds in life is in actually uh, their, their upbringings uh, where areas were denied or areas actually uh, didn't answer these needs in their life. And it can lead to very strange at times behavior within people as they try and answer this quest in their life. And so some people will end up, for example, substance abuse. Um, is because they become vulnerable because of the needs within their lives. I, I don't know whether you know it, but uh, all you've got to do is go into the prison system. And I, I say this carefully, but I've read the statistics. Something like 70% of our prisoners in our prisons actually uh, are, are with men who had a very dysfunctional relationship with their father, with their family. And I'm not saying that of all, but it led to a vulnerability in their lives that it led to a brokenness. And in that brokenness, sometimes it can lead to bizarre behavior. And we stand back and we go, well, this person is a criminal. He's a bad person. But in fact, many times they're just broken people. And they're trying to reach out for answers in their worlds and life. But they, they actually move into behavior that's strange and bizarre. See, God had an answer for that. And that answer is relationship. It is family. 
That's how God always intended for people to have this need met in this emotional part of their life. And he always intended that to be met that way. And so what happens in this world there, God actually wanted people actually to be whole within and to be able to stand back uh, there and actually learn uh, uh, to receive that love again, to learn to receive affection and affirmation and their security and their identity in the world. And that does not happen by being born again. Hear me loud and clear. That does not happen by being born again. It happens by being connected to family. And so what happens, many people don't have this in a normal way. And God's plan is that the church should be the family. And that the church can help people relearn love and affection and affirmation and relearn and establish their identity and their security within God. And so with this here, this means that when we come to someone, you know, there's a Greek word that speaks of salvation. It also speaks of wholeness. There's only one Greek word for this, and it's the word sozo. And sozo, actually, if I see someone that's physically healed, I go, oh, sozo. But if I see someone who actually comes to Christ and comes into a living relationship with their Father in heaven, I say, oh, they've experienced sozo. There's only one word. And so with this here, it can be described for our spiritual life, our physical life, but I also believe our emotional life. And so the Bible says our spirit, we need to be born from above and we need to be restored back into worship with God. That's God's plan. And primarily, salvation begins at that point. But secondly, is we need to actually then align our whole emotional life, our thinking life. We need to align it to what's happened to us spiritually. And with this, we call it sanctification uh, to describe this word and the restoration of the soul. But finally, the Bible actually speaks there's going to be a new body in heaven and earth. And all those over 50, uh, that's good news. <laughs> that is good news. And so the Bible speaks that uh, there's going to be a, a, a resurrection and a transformation down the track in the future. Now, incidentally, the word holy, holy actually also infers wholeness, wholeness. So God just doesn't want to make you holy. He wants to make you whole in your whole person. And, you know, we are justified by faith alone. That was our topic this morning as we have begun to look at the book of the Galatians. Uh, but then there is this process in our lives that deals with sanctification. How does my life then change? Now, this is why in the series in, uh, down at Byron, we're going to be looking at the first of those issues, justification. How does one, how is their life brought out of spiritual ruin? But here on, on, on the afternoons, we're going to be looking at how one sees their life align and change through sanctification. Now, right in the beginning is when man fell into sin. His life was severed in relationship to God, and his life was severed horizontally to one another. So man sinned, God called him to account, and I think you remember the story, as Adam blamed the woman, the woman blamed the serpent, and you know, as of course the bad joke goes, the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. And so what happens there, uh, they uh, actually were fallen. Now with sanctification, God has a plan. He had a plan right at the beginning of Scripture. And God said, let us make man in our image after our own likeness. Let them have dominion, dominion. And so God's plan for all of humanity was actually to be a whole person, a whole person. And when a person is whole, it means that they are complete in their spiritual, their emotional, and their physical life. And in that completeness, they are to have dominion. And God gave dominion for humanity over all things, both male and female. He created them. And in dominion, it means that you have authority and rule. Dominion, you can allow and have the authority of what comes into your life, what goes out of your life. You are the one who is in control. Now, when man sinned, he lost his vertical relationship to God. Is he lost, uh, as in the image of God, 
He lost that relationship with God. But amazingly, he also lost his horizontal relationship of dominion and authority. So instead of actually being in dominion and rule, is suddenly sin had dominion and rule of him. And sin controlled and dominated humanity's life. And this is the difficulty for humanity, is we want to be free. And some people go, well, I'm just going to pursue a life of freedom. But very quickly, their so-called freedom becomes their master. And so alcohol can start off as fun, but be a dreadful master. Is anger. You know, people can deal in frustrations that come into their life, but as a horrid master. There are things that come into people's world and life and they become slaves to those things. And when Paul came into the city of Corinth, he's dealing with the people in a red light district. You're dealing with a loveless town. You're dealing with people who are broken, broken people and who had tremendous needs in their life that they've tried to meet in the wrong way. And when people try to meet legitimate needs in a wrong way, illegitimately. Unfortunately, in that world of the czar is where those things get dominion and rule over them. Now, the wonderful news is, Paul, as he comes to plant that church in that city, what happens is he comes in, uh, there is effectively people who get born again. I thank God for that. I thank God for every man and woman that comes into living relationship with the Father. That's a wonderful thing. You know, there's people who've been sitting in church for years and years who actually understand justification, but they've never understood sanctification. They've never understood that their lives can actually change, is they can come into a wholeness and, and into a life where God rebuilds them brick by brick, another brick in the wall, that they become fully whole, and God can restore dominion into their lives where once they were slaves and puppets of things that controlled them, they have restored dignity that they then become master of their life. And when someone is made whole in God and they become to have dominion and rule, at that moment, at that moment, is God actually restores to them that complete dignity. And at that moment, you can stand and say, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lives change. And I thank God for this. Now, just before we finish, I just want to say these couple of things to explain where we're going to go in the, in the couple of weeks to come, and, and uh, we're doing okay for time. But God always has a pattern to change people. There's patterns if I can say this, when Moses built the tabernacle, God showed him that he was to build the tabernacle according to a pattern. Is um, When you come, say, here to 1 Corinthians 10, 11, it says, now the things in the Old Testament, what happened in their history, it says, happened to them as a, a what an example. A tupos uh, in the Greek means you can pattern your life over these things, to learn from them how you can align your life. And so they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages have come. Uh, and so what happens, there is always patterns in Scripture. And in our Old Testament, when we come to an Old Testament, we understand that there is these patterns that God uses to bring change into people's lives. The most important one is that we are delivered from the bondage of this world into the kingdom of the beloved son. We call that being born again. We call it being born from above. And so with this, if I just come here, if I just read 1 Corinthians 10, 1 to 4, it will put it this way. And it goes, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Now, Paul is actually speaking from the Old Testament. And he's saying, see, our Old Testament is an example or a pattern that shows us how God walked, worked in yours and my life. 
And yours and my life, we were much like those in bondage in Egypt under Pharaoh, but our lives were under Satan. And what happens through the blood of the Lamb or through what Christ has done has delivered us from that into relationship with God as Father. Now, we, most of us in the church understand that. And so we can draw a pattern of salvation based on how God used our Old Testament. So if we come there, Exodus 1 to 11 talks about that Egyptian life Israel had, life under Satan. Uh, Ephesians 2 will just say, we too lived in the world uh, and, and we too were under sin and under bondage, under Satan himself, the prince of the power of the air. And then what happens for Israel that delivered out of Egypt uh, there in Exodus 12 by the blood of Christ? And of course, Peter will take that up and say, this is what's happened to us. Is, is Christ died for us to deliver us out of that bondage of Egypt and bring us into right relationship with Christ. Then Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 and 2 says, God led the people to the Red Sea. And in Exodus 14, it tells the story as they went down through the sea and, and their bridges were, were literally drowned behind them. They could never return to Egypt. Uh, and God buried that world once and for all. And, and Paul actually says that's like when we are water baptized, is we die to our old life and we've symbolically uh, declared that we're now living for our life for the new. And, and then Exodus says that God sent his, his cloud, pillar by fire by night and a cloud by day, and the people were under that cloud. And, and the Bible talks in Holy Spirit baptism is where in the New Testament we come into the presence and the glory of the Holy Spirit. And of course, Acts 2, uh, 38 and 39, Peter will refer to that and go, this promise is for you and for your children and your children's children. Now, we understand that. And of course, Israel lived in the wilderness and they drank from the rock. They ate manna in the wilderness. They crossed the Jordan. But ultimately, they went to their present, their, their, their heavenly uh, or, or inheritance and so we've been delivered out of the world by the Holy Spirit. We received the Word of God. Uh, there is, uh, you know, finally natural death or translation and people go to heaven. Everyone got the picture. We, we know that the Old Testament gives this picture that we now live in and see fulfilled. And let me just, as we sort of wind this up, we've got to look and go, not only is there a pattern for salvation, God has a pattern for restoration. Or, if I can use that word, sanctification. How does God change people? Now, it's wonderful to see them delivered out of Egypt. But as you know, in the history of the Old Testament, it's one thing to deliver people out of Egypt. It's another thing to deliver Egypt out of the people. That's the challenge. You can get them out of Egypt, but how do you get Egypt out of the people? And, you know, it's one thing to bring people into salvation, but how do you get the world out of the people? That's the challenge. How do you get broken people and see them come through fully into wholeness? That's what I'm interested in. I want to see a church of people where I can say, such were some of you. That's where I want to see them. Now, in our Old Testament, we have books in the latter half of the Old Testament that actually describe another history. And this is going to become very important for us in the weeks to come. There's a book called Ezra. And Ezra talks about after Israel went into captivity in Babylon, God had a plan to bring them back from the ruins of destruction, from the ruins and the brokenness of their world. And God had a plan to bring them back to the land of promise. And in that, he had a plan of restoration to lead them out of the ruins of Babylon and bring them back into wholeness and fullness in their land. And those books are recorded by books right at the end of your Old Testament. The books of Ezra, the book of Nehemiah, the books of Haggai, the book of Zechariah all speak to this period of history for Israel. And so what happens, as the people came back from Babylon, God had a plan and the first thing they had to get right was they had to set the altar in place. Before they rebuilt the city, before they could put another brick in the wall, before they could deal with anything, the most important step for them as a nation in restoration is to establish the altar of God. Your step in wholeness, your step to recovery, your step to reclaiming dominion and authority in your world begins with your altar. 
begins with how you develop worship in your life. And so they were, had to develop that altar. In Ezra 4.12, as it says, they are rebuilding. This is what they said from outside the rebellious and wicked city. They're finishing the walls and repairing the foundations. And they said that because the people reestablished the altar. Because the moment Israel reestablished an altar to God in this plan of restoration, not this plan of salvation, but the plan of restoration, is they are on the plan for the reestablishing of the walls, the repairing of the foundations, the gates of the city, and dominion is going to come back into their world. Everyone can quote Nehemiah 8.10. You mightn't think you can, but let me, let me see. I'll start this verse. See if you can complete it. The joy of the Lord. Let me say it again. The joy of the Lord. Now, can I just say, I found many, many Christians walk up to people and they quote that verse. And they say, the joy of the Lord is your strength. But the reality, those those people are standing in brokenness and they're under dominion of this world and yet they're believers in Christ. It's because, friends, you cannot quote Nehemiah 8.10 until you've gone through the plan of restoration. The altar must be rebuilt. The temple must be rebuilt. The walls of the city must be rebuilt. Is The gates must be reset into the city. And so, yes, we want to see all the bricks and the wall in place, but God has a right plan for that. And that plan is centered in one particular area. Let me read from the Zechariah that was written at that time in history for Israel. Zechariah 4, 6 to 10. And he came into that broken city, and they'd reestablished an altar to God. And there it says, then he said, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Can you imagine having a name like Zerubbabel if you had a stutter? Hello, my name is Zerubbabel. Wouldn't that be a dilemma? I pity some of the people in the Bible. My name is Anyway, please forgive me if there's anyone that struggles with stuttering in the church. Um, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, a great mountain before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain. You're in brokenness. You're in ruins in your world. But friends, who are you to say to that? You will bring the top stone of the completed house of God, the complete restoration with every brick back in the wall. And you will bring that top stone and you'll, wear it. you'll yell two words to it. Grace. Grace. You need to yell it. Grace. If you've got brokenness in your life, you need to yell grace. Grace. Because God has a plan to bring you into wholeness, to bring you into full dominion and rule in your life. And yes, He ultimately wants you to stand there and go, the joy of the Lord is my strength. But when every area of my life has walked through the process of restoration, then I can say, the joy of the Lord is is my strength. I can't quote that until I come into that restoration and ultimate dominion and rule God wants to establish back in my life. Now, very quickly, that deliverance from Egypt we use as a pattern for salvation. But this pattern of restoration is God's pattern for wholeness in your life. And this is to rebuild and restore you. Uh, And what happens if we walk through this is ultimately rebuild the gates and the walls to rebuild this in your life. And so we begin in restoration by rebuilding the altar of God. That's why the book of Ezra is there. We then relay the foundations of our foundational life of worship. You know why a lot of people never, ever recover? Is they've never learned to worship God. Is if you learn to worship God, you'll find chains that have bound your life will begin to fall. And then God wants you to restore that temple, that we become temples of the Holy Spirit. And what happens when worship is restored and you've walked the pattern of the book of Ezra? 
Here's an interesting thing. Does anyone know what the name Ezra means in Hebrew? Let me give it to you. Ezra means helper. Anyone think of someone else in the Scripture who was called helper? Uh, incidentally, the book of Nehemiah, which deals with the restoration of the walls, Nehemiah's name in Hebrew, does anyone know what it means? It means comforter. Is there anyone else in Scripture that you remember who is known by the name of comforter? Didn't Jesus say when the Holy Spirit comes to you, he will be your helper and comforter? He will teach you all things and he will lead you in the way of restoration. This is God's plan for our lives. And so it begins and we're going to walk through the book of Nehemiah. We're going to walk through this pattern where it begins with intercession and prayer where we need to assess the brokenness of our broken world. We can be Christian and yet broken. But you can change, friends. Every one of you can change. And we need to know who is our opposition. And then we need to see the walls restored, brick by brick. Another brick in the wall. But a better wall than anything Roger Waters sang about. It's a wall that speaks of wholeness and restoration. We need to identify the enemy within. We need to see the gates restored and authority and dominion come back into your life. That you can say no and you can say yes to what you need to say no and yes to. To have full dominion. And we need to walk in wholeness. And then at that point is we need to declare the joy of the Lord is my strength. I come into full revival when I walk this plan and pattern. And so the whole thing centers on the work of the Holy Spirit, the helper who Jesus said, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things to bring all things to remembrance. John 16, 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things to come. And so on Sunday nights here, we're going to start to talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. On Sunday mornings in the book of Galatians, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about the Holy Spirit. And so this is where we're going. And so we want to present this plan of restoration. And I want to see at the end a church rise up with the joy of the Lord is my strength. Father, we give you glory and honor. I pray for your blessing on your church a blessing on your people. And Lord Jesus, as we come to this and we come next week and we just approach this whole thing, Father, I pray to the glory of your name, Lord Jesus Christ, that we see full restoration in our lives, brick by brick, gate by gate of dominion. And Lord, that you would restore relationship to you and dominion and rule in the life of every believer in this room. Father, we say to those things that try to hold them and hold them in brokenness, in the authority of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, may every one of those things bow below the footstool of your feet. And Father, we pray for your wholeness and glory to be upon your people. Amen. Let's stand, let's sing, let's worship God. Amen.